Baxter. We was able to go to Waco and uh, see um, uh, the, the Gaineses. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Only my wife would care anything because she don't know any better, all right? I tell you, I say, honey, all that stuff is scripted. You need to quit watching that stuff. Her, you, know, all, you know what HGTV is and all this stuff's for? That's just to find more for husbands to do. How many men would say amen right there? And so anyway, that's unfair, isn't it? But anyway, we had a wonderful time there in Waco. Went to Baylor University and, and uh, had, had lunch in the faculty center. And then uh, we uh, went to uh, the uh, Texas Ranger Museum. I, I'm a history buff like your pastor. We enjoy talking together. And we just had a delightful day together. And I enjoyed it very much so. And he told me, he said, no more of that. He said, I got to work tomorrow. He said, I got church to pastor. And so anyway, I got work to do too. We had a day today just to enjoy each other. And I've enjoyed being with you. The food is great. I'm wearing it on my shirt. Anybody know? And uh, usually I'd have a coat and tie and I could hide it with my tie and cover it with my coat. But here you see there's none of that. And so uh, I, it's just right out there for all the world to see that I've got, you know, uh, a little bit of fettuccine there, maybe a little spaghetti, some lasagna. And uh, if I get hungry tonight, I could just eat my shirt. But anyway, I guess it'll all be all right. Well, Farmer Joe got all injured. And uh, he is in a bad accident, and he decided he's going to take the trucking company that was responsible to that accident for co to court. And, of course, the trucking company had their fancy lawyer, and they were questioning Farmer Joe on the stand. And the, the, the fancy lawyer said, Now, Farmer Joe, didn't you say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine? Uh, and Farmer Joe looked at him, and he said, Well, he said, let me tell you what happened. He said, I just loaded my favorite mule, Bessie, into the... And the fancy lawyer said, I didn't ask for any details. I just wanted a yes or no answer. Just answer the question. Did you not say, at the scene of the accident, I am fine? And Farmer Joe said, well, I, got, I just got Bessie into the trailer and I was driving down the road. Lawyer interrupted again. He said, Judge, listen, I'm trying to establish the fact that at the scene of the accident, this man told the highway patrolman on the scene that he was fine and that he was okay. Now, several weeks have went by and since that accident, now he's trying to sue my client. He's a fraud. Please tell him to simply answer the yes or no question. Well, by this time, the judge was intrigued. He wanted to know what Farmer Joe had to say and he said, I'd really like to hear what Farmer Joe has to say for himself. And so Joe thanked the judge and he said, Well, as I was saying, I just loaded Bessie, my favorite mule, into the trailer. I was driving her down the highway when this huge semi-truck and trailer ran the stop sign, smacked my truck right in the, sign, in the side. I went in one ditch and Judge Bessie went in the other. I was hurting real bad. I didn't want to move. However, I could hear poor old Bessie moaning and groaning. I knew she's in terrible shape just by her groans. And then the highway patrolman showed up. He could hear Bessie moaning and groaning in the ditch, and so he went over to her. He looked at her. He pulled out his revolver, thumb-cocked it, and shot her right between the eyes. Then the patrolman came across the road. He had his gun in his hand. He said, your mule's in such bad shape I had to shoot her. How are you feeling? And I said, I'm fine. That's how I am. You know what? We're fine, aren't we? <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation... That's not talking about sin and moderation. That's, that's not what he's talking about here in, in that particular verse. He, he's talking about the fact of, of our gentleness... Let our gentleness, our kindness, our, our, our faith be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Look at verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep, garrison, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When you come to the book of Philippians, it's the joy epistle. You're going to find the words joy and rejoice that are used some 19 times throughout its four chapters. 
I believe the, the key verse of the entire book is chapter 4 and verse 4 where the Bible said, Rejoice in the Lord always. That means at all times and in every circumstance. Do you realize that joy, which I will not preach on tonight, that joy is not something that is associated with my external circumstances. It is an internal matter. It is not uh, determined by what's happening to me. It's determined what happened inside of me. It's something that I have is, uh, from Jesus. It, it, it's His joy in me that flows out of our lives as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. It's not dependent upon what's going on in my life. It's dependent, about my, uh, uh, it's dependent upon my walk with Him. Amen. So you come to Philippians 4 and you find God's pathway to joy. But now wait a minute. Paul helps us to understand something tonight. That nothing will derail your life and rob you of joy quicker than the sin of worry. Worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrows, one person wrote. It only saps today of its joy. I don't believe God desires for His children to suffer from an anxious and troubled heart. I don't believe that was his plan. That's why Jesus told some anxious and troubled and worrisome disciples, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Worry and fear are twin cousins that will, that will uh, grip our hearts and our lives and will dominate us spiritually, crowding out every good thing that God wants for our lives. Robbing us, robbing us of the joys of life. I'm glad that God has an answer for our anxiety and our worries tonight in that of a troubled heart. And it's peace, His peace, God's peace. Peace like a river. A peace that is precious and perfect and priceless and it's beyond our comprehension tonight. The world cannot understand it. But you know what? It's not something necessarily to understand. It's something for you and I to experience in our everyday lives that we can have the peace of God in our hearts and in our minds. I want you to notice with me first of all tonight as we think about how to win over worry. That's what God desires for us tonight. He doesn't want you to be dominated by worry. He doesn't want you to be defeated by worry. He doesn't want you to struggle. He wants you to win over this matter of worry and anxiety in your heart. I said this last night. You can go to the pharmacy. I can go to the pharmacy and we can buy sleep. But you can't buy peace. The world is searching for it and cannot find it. They look for it in people and pleasure and what they possess, what we would call stuff. But the reality of it is, is people and places and pleasures and stuff only serves to enhance our anxieties and our worries. They never alleviate them. Never do. Can I help us to understand that peace is not found in stuff, it's found in the Savior. Notice he's going to address for us tonight the problem with our worries. Do you realize there's a problem with this matter of what you and I would call anxiety and worry? Notice if you would in verse number 6. He says, be careful for nothing. Now that word careful, uh, we think of being cautious we have the idea of exercising cautious, but you're going to find that that was an old English word that had to do with our anxiety or an anxious or a worrisome heart. It's the very same word that the Lord Jesus will use in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll look at here just shortly in verse 25, when He says, Take no thought. What he's saying is, don't be dominated and controlled and defeated by an anxious and worrisome heart. It carries the idea, when you think of anxiety, it carries the idea of being pulled in different directions. If you're a person who's given to anxiety, you understand the tug of war, the, the tug of war that's going on inside your soul. The struggle. 
Matter of fact, when worry and fear and anxiety overtake us, it seems like our lives are literally being pulled apart. Our mind is divided between legitimate thoughts and destructive thoughts. Our hearts are divided between legitimate feelings and and destructive feelings. Anxiety robs us of the joy of living life the way God designed it. Worry. The English word worry means to strangle. Did you know that? Worry will literally strangle the life out of you. It will rob you of your joy. It will choke out the Word of God. It will cause us to abandon the trust in the one who tells us to cast all our care upon Him because He cares for us. Now you know what I could do tonight? I could take the time and I have them right here in my notes. I could give you all the statistics. You can go on the internet. I tell our young people in our church, just Google it. You see, one of the joys of living prior to Google, prior to... I remember stuff, you know, and and, and they don't understand. They don't don't know this stuff. And I say, listen, don't Google it while I'm preaching. Just Google it after you get home. Like, take, for instance, a phone booth. How many of you remember what that is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember you had to carry some extra change just to make sure you can make an emergency phone call. Now you just pull out the cell phone and hit the buttons and hope you've got cell reception. I could give you all the statistics about how our worries are unfounded, about how that much of what we worry about will never happen. I can give you statistic after statistic after statistic. Do you know why I'm not going to do that? You say, preacher, why? Because it doesn't stop us from worrying. Just because somebody tells me it's probably not going to happen or that it's unfounded or that it's rooted in, 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 in illegitimate thought rather than that, that does me absolutely no good whatsoever. I am still going to worry because what about that one sliver of chance that it could happen? Right? Sure. But Jesus says, wait a minute. That's not how I want you to live your life. Would you hold your place with me? And I want us to hear what Jesus says. We're going to come back to our verses and everything. But turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Usually when I preach, I don't have people turn to a lot of passages, but I will turn to several tonight, just a few. And if you can't turn there with me and I get too far ahead of you too quickly, that's fine. Just write them down. You can look them up later. But you come to Matthew chapter 6. Here the Lord is addressing this matter of worry and anxiety in people's hearts. It begins in verse number 24 as he, as he discuss, discusses who we're going to serve. All right, In my King James Bible it uses the word mammon. And you say, well what's that? Well that's just an old English word for stuff. That's what it is. Look, he says, verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot, here's what he's saying, you cannot serve God and mammon or stuff at the same time. Because can I tell you, living in this world and chasing after stuff is just what causes us to worry. You know what I found? The more stuff you have, the more you got to worry about. You ever notice that? Jesus is going to talk to us about that. Notice what he says, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought. Same word of be careful phrase that, that we find in Philippians 4 comes from the same word that has the idea, be careful for nothing. Take no thought for your life. And he talks about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. That's what verse 25 is all about, worrying about life, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink. And you know what? We don't worry about that. We just turn on the water faucet. We go buy a Pepsi. Uh, we go down to the grocery store but it wasn't like that in the Lord's day there wasn't always something to drink and always something to eat that's why he teaches us earlier in the chapter to pray for our daily bread because it was daily that they ate it was daily that they were paid they didn't get paid by the week or semi, uh, semi-monthly every other week or, or monthly no they, they, they worked today they were paid today and usually it was just enough to eat and feed their family for that day and you know what it's teaching us it was teaching us the truth of this, that every one of us lives from hand to mouth. We live from His hand to our mouth. We need to trust God for every need of life. 
And so he said, don't worry about all of these things of life that you and I find ourselves worrying about. And he's talking about food and fashion and fitness and finances and even the future he's going to talk about. Uh, All of these things. He said, take no thought for your life. Don't be anxious and worried and troubled about these things. Why? And he's going to tell us because it's needless. If you're taking notes, I would jot that down. If I'm filled with worry and anxiety and it's controlling my life, it is absolutely needless. You say, preacher, why is that? Because I want you to notice what Jesus says in verse number 26. He said, behold the fowls of the air. He immediately moves our attention to the birds of the air. Behold the fowls, the birds of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Here's what he's saying. If if your heavenly Father will care for a bird, he'll care for you. Now, you know what? I've been trying to figure this out, and I preach in church after church all over the country uh, from, from the, the, the northwest to the southwest to the midwest to the northeast to the south. So I preach all over, and I preach along these lines. Nobody's really been able to answer this, and I may have a bird person here. Do birds have toenails? I don't really know. And that really not what about the message, but let me just ask you a question. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and you saw a robin? Do you have robins down here? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. And so you have robins and, and, you, and you see the robin and all of a sudden it's, it's out there and it's sort of got its little foot in its mouth and it's just sort of nibbling along and, and it's sort of worried and shaking and oh, I wonder if there's a worm out there today. I wonder if when I jump off this branch and I hop along through the, wor- the, the yard, if I'm going to find a, a bug today, if there's going to be an insect for me to eat. When was the last time you saw that? Now, do you know what that bird did this morning? It did the same thing it did yesterday. It immediately, when it woke up, jumped off that branch, went right down into your yard, popped a few times, and cocked its head. I don't know if this is true or not, but I've been told it's cocking its head because it can hear the insect or the worm in the ground or the grass. I have no idea. But here's what I do know. They cock their head, and in a few minutes, they're just doing like this right here, and out they come with a bug or a worm. You know what? They didn't worry about it. They didn't stress about it. They weren't filled with anxiety. They didn't wonder whether or not the worm would be there. They didn't wonder whether or not the insect was there because you know what? The God that fed them yesterday be the God that feeds them today. Now here's what I learned. I learned how God, uh, how, how, how one way that God feeds the birds. You say, preacher, how is that? It's through vain people like me. Now you know what? When I was young and I had kids at home, I couldn't imagine taking my hard-earned money and buying bird seed. I mean, it's everything I could do to put food in my mouth and my kids' mouths and all of that. I mean, if I heard somebody buying bird seed for birds, that was ludicrous. I mean, why in the world would anybody? I mean, there's worms and insects and grasshoppers. And why do I need to buy bird seed? Guess what? I, I found out that I like bird seed. I reached a point in my life that my kids were grown. My wife and I like to sit down and we've got a bird feeder right outside the window of our house where we can make sure, make, watch the birds come and eat the bird feed at the bird feeders. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You know what? God feeds the birds through people like you and me. Now here's what I found, that inflation's hit bird seed. How many say amen right there? And so I cut it from two bird feeders to one bird feeder and now they can share. But you know what I've noticed? I look outside the window and I say, Oh, honey, we're about out of bird seed. I've got to go to the store because my birds are going to go hungry. Can I tell you, God was feeding the birds long before I got here and He'll feed them long after I'm gone. Birds don't worry. God will take care of the birds and He'll take care of you. You know what He said? He said that are not too spare a soul for just a small amount of money. He called it a farthing. Just a small amount of money. He said, my, my, he said, my, my father knows every time that a sparrow, the smallest of birds, falls to the ground. Shall one fall to the ground and my father not know it? If my God is so in tune with a bird that he knows when it falls to the ground, He knows how much it's sold for. That really it's of small significance because there's plenty of them. And God is concerned about a bird. How much more is He concerned about those who He sent His Son to die for and pay for their sins and save them from a place called hell? 
He says, if my father will take care of a bird, he'll take care of you. He said, you're of more value than many sparrows. But not only does he talk about the birds of the air, he talks about the, the flowers of the field. Look again, verse number 26. He says, uh, for your father, heavenly father, feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Verse 27. He talks about your height. I'm going to come back to that. Verse 28. And why take you thought for raiment, clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. You ever thought about the beauty? You know the beauty of flowers you know the blue bonnets that cover the, 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 the ground I was asking pastor I said listen I, I'm early enough where the he said the grass has grown up he said look at that blue hue out there and suddenly I began to see under the grass the blue hue of the blue bonnets that are so popular that people drive from all over the country just to see the beauty that God's given you but in that day the flowers would grow up in the grass the grass was used to fuel, fuel the ovens and so the grass would come up the flowers would be would, would clothe the, the ground with all of their beauty and someone would come along with a scythe and began to mow them down and what grew up and was beautiful and one day was cut down and thrown in the oven the next day. And if God cared enough to give a beauty to a flower that wouldn't even make it 24 hours, don't you think that same God will clothe and take care of you? He said even Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed like the beauty of a flower. Look, verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Can I tell you, number one, uh, underneath our problem with worry is that it's needless. Number two, it's faithless. Would you underline those little, that little phrase, O ye of little faith? Did you know that worry and anxiety and fear in our lives is evidence of a lack of trust? And the God who is faithful to care for us and to meet the needs of life, it is an evidence of a lack of faith. Oh, ye of little faith. You know what I've noticed in the Bible? That God never, God never rebukes anybody for having too much faith. He never said to Peter, Peter, you know what? You're just trusting me so much that really I can't hardly handle it. You need to back off. John, can I tell you, can you back off on this faith stuff a little bit? No, it was time and time and time again. He would say to a group of men that walked with him every day for three and a half years that watched him perform miracles, saw him cast out demons, feed thousands with a few loaves and some fishes. And he says, oh ye of little faith. Can I tell you this? If they've got little faith, I wonder what kind of faith you and I have tonight. Can I tell you tonight, if you're filled with anxiety and worry and fear, it's an evidence of little faith. God links a worrisome and anxious heart to a lack of faith. George W. Truett said, worry is like a mild form of atheism. When we worry, we act like there's no God. George Mueller said the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith and the beginning of faith is the end of, is the end of anxiety. Can I help us to understand tonight? You want revival in your heart. You want God to refresh and renew you. You want God to let, help you to live on a different plane spiritually. Then you're going to have to acknowledge worry and fear and anxiety for what they are. They're not just a label that a psychologist places on us. They're sin. Their sin, worry is sin just like unforgiveness is a sin and bitterness is a sin and drunkenness is a sin and uncontrolled anger is a sin. Worry is disobedience to God. When was the last time you confessed the sin of worry? Notice back in Philippians, now you don't have to turn there, but back in Philippians he said, careful for nothing. Here Jesus says, take no thought. Do you realize these are not suggestions? These are commands. God is commanding me not to worry. He's commanding me not to be filled with anxiety. I, you cannot command feelings. So that lets me know that the root of anxiety and worry is not how I feel. That is a byproduct of anxiety and worry. Not the root. Because I can't command my emotions. It's a choice. I either choose to trust God with my life 
or I choose to live a faithless life of worry and anxiety and fear of the future. I knew that we'd get tough at this moment. It always does. Jesus didn't say it would be a good idea if you didn't do this. No, He said, don't worry about anything. Take no thought. Worry is unbelief and disbelief is to disobey God. Instead of worrying about things, trust your heavenly Father. As Corrie ten Boom, we mentioned her last night, this portion of her life in a Nazi concentration camp. She said, don't wrestle, just nestle. I like that, don't you? Let me tell you, worry is needless. Here's the problem. It is faithless and it is useless. Look at verse number 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Jesus is saying that worrying never added one inch to your height. If it did, I would be 6'3". I know you've already noticed that I'm vertically challenged. I never had a growth spurt except out. Just, just, just a fact. I mean, I can smell pound cake. I ate some tonight. Thank you. The food has been wonderful. And I just smell it and gain weight. That's just my life. Last time I was skinny, I was four. Okay, I was four years old. I always wanted to be tall. I did. I always wanted to be tall. My uncles were tall. I, I looked up to them. I thought they were wonderful. And I wanted to be like my uncles that were tall and slim. And I was short and dumpy. That was just my life, okay? And so I would tell, I'd say, oh, I want to be tall like you. They would tell me to do all kinds of terrible things. My uncles will one day, when they stand before the Lord, they're going to be in big trouble. Because when I was a little boy and I wanted to be tall like they were, they say, Kevin, you know there's a pile of manure down there next to the garden. Why don't you go stand in it? It'll fertilize you and help you grow. Can you believe that? They'd have me doing all kinds of stuff like that, thinking that somehow or another I was going to grow just a little bit taller. Do you know all my life I've wanted to be taller and it didn't help me grow one inch, not even a milli inch more than, if anything, I'm shrinking. Okay? Jesus said it, it, it's not going to add one inch to your height. It's not going to add one year. It won't add one second to your life. Worries never come to heart. It's never dried a tear. It's never lifted a burden, and it's never made a bad thing a good thing. Worry doesn't help you, it only hurts you. Worry doesn't eliminate our problems, it only enlarges them. It's needless, it's faithless, it's useless. That great North Carolina preacher Vance Havner said, it's worrying is like rocking in a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't take you anywhere. God knows my need, and He's promised to meet my need. It's, it's useless, it's needless, it's faithless. I used to be dominated by a certain fear and worry that would grip my heart. How many of you remember when your kids got their license? Terrible moment in my life. I hated every second of it. Now, I was thankful that my kids waited. My son was 18, my daughter was 17. It wasn't our choice, it was theirs. They just waited a while before they got them. But I'll never forget when my oldest, my, my daughter got her license. She was 17 years old. She was a senior in high school. And I don't know about you because, see, as a pastor, I'm in some of the most difficult times in people's lives. I've knocked on the door of someone I love in the middle of the night to give the news that their loved one's been tragically killed or they tragically took their own life. I know what it is when the fear grips them. I know what it is when the panic sets in and the disbelief and the pain. I know that. I've, I've, I've been in the floor with them as they've wept and cried. My, my greatest fear preacher was this right here. Are you Kevin Broyhill? Yes, I am. Your daughter was involved in an accident. Anytime I would hear my, child, my daughter was driving, anytime I would hear a siren in the distance, there would be a fear that would grip my heart, an anxiety that would begin to dominate me. Oh, I wonder if it's Emily. I wonder if she's been in a wreck. I wonder if she's okay. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. And it got to the point that it was affecting my life. My wife, the 
sweet, wonderful lady that has been serving by my side in 33 years of ministry come up and she said, Preacher. I said, Yes, ma'am. She said, When are you going to start practicing what you preach? I said, what do you mean? She said, I thought I've heard you say that worry is needless and and faithless and useless. If that was our daughter in a wreck, could you do absolutely anything to help her at this moment? I said, no. She said, do you have any assurance whatsoever that she's even in that wreck? And I said, no, ma'am, sheepishly. She said, if she's in that wreck, could you have done anything to stop it? And again, I'm getting lower and lower and sheep. And I say, no, ma'am. And she said, why don't you start trusting God? And then she gave me three points and a poem, gave an invitation, and I walked down the aisle. Because you know what I was doing? I was sinning against God. My children don't belong to me. They belong to the God of heaven. He entrusted them to me for a short period of life. We think when they're small because we have them by our side. I want to just give him something to do tonight. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That that we can protect them. That we somehow can keep them safe. That somehow, And then they grow up and they get out from under us. And somehow now we feel this loss because we can't keep them in a place of safety. They're, They're out away from us. Can I tell you, I couldn't protect them any more at five than I can at 25. God gave them to me for a period of time. They belong to Him. God can do anything He wants to with any of us because He's God. She said, when are you going to give our children to God? And I had to get by faith, give my daughter and my son to the Lord all over again. I told God they were His when they were little, but I had to give them back to Him when they were big. What I'm trying to help you understand is tonight that you can't, that that your worry and your anxiety is not fixing or controlling or protecting or changing any of the issues that you're filled with worry and anxiety about. It's not going to lengthen your life. It's going to shorten it. And if it doesn't shorten it, it sure is going to make it miserable because you can't endure it. That's the problem with our worry. But I'm glad that God doesn't stop there, aren't you? That Jesus gives us the answer, prescription, for our worries. Look at verse number uh, 31. Therefore take no thought saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed. Young adults worry about the future. We worry about the future of our nation. Where are we going? Who's going to be the next president? How's our government going to do this? What about China? What about inflation? What about gas? What about oil? We worry and we worry and we worry. Best day of my life is when I quit watching the news. Ignorance is bliss. I watch it once in a while. I used to be tuned into the 24-7 news cycle. I would watch and I would listen. And you know what I found? That about every 15 minutes they start over again. You ever notice that? Right. Verse 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles, that's what the world seeks. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. He knows what you need better than you do. Verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added. Listen, God said, I want you to be a Matthew 6.33 Christian. And seek me first, and my will first, and my righteousness in your life, and I'm going to take care of everything else. Look at verse 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the, for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. That word evil has to do not with sin and wickedness and iniquity and ungodliness. That word evil means the trouble and the difficulty and the hardships of life. Here's what he's saying. You've got enough problems today without worrying about the problems that you might have tomorrow. By the way, God doesn't give you the grace to live tomorrow. He only gives you the grace you need today. Sufficient to the day, Jesus said, is the evil thereof. And so therefore sufficient is His grace to deal with whatever I'm facing 
today. I'm reminded of a preacher that uh, acquaintance that was on an airplane and, and uh, they'd hit some turbulence sort of like I hit. I mean it was a smooth flight till we were coming down into, into Houston and, and, and you know there'll be that updraft and for whatever reason uh, the bottom fell out of the plane. You can hear the gas and the all over it. I mean we probably dropped 50 feet or maybe 100 feet. I don't know. It was just you know, just like that. And then it leveled back off and everybody's doing this number and all. But anyway, it was just really bad turbulence. And the woman looked at him and said, listen, you're a preacher. She said, I feel like we're about to die. Are we going to be okay? And he said, ma'am, he said, I know that God told me there'd be dying grace. And right now, I think we're going to be all right because I'm scared to death. I don't have any dying grace. Can I just help you understand something? Even when it comes time to cross over to the other side, when that day arrives, the grace will be there for you to handle that day. Why worry about it today? Because you don't need it. It'll be there when you get there. So let's look at what do I need to do. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 4. Can we do that? And I'm going to quickly, quickly give you the prescription. How do I handle it, preacher? How do I stop the, the sin of worry in my life after I've confessed it and I've owned it to God for what it is? Every time that worry and anxiety begins to control and creep into your life, you need to immediately confess it to the Lord. Now, what do I do? How do I, how do, I do it? God does not expect us to live in a vacuum. And so we find a replacement theology here. Look at verse number 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication we with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. God said, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. The first answer to a worrisome heart is what I call fervent prayer. And, what, and, and notice he said, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Do you know that nothing and everything are the most exclusive and inclusive words in the English language? What does nothing mean? Nothing. So what does everything mean? Everything. Isn't that good? That means the big things and the little things and the important things and the unimportant things. Everything is included in prayer. Someone said that it might be excluded from care. We're not to be careful but prayerful. When worry begins to creep into my life, it begins to dominate me, I immediately begin to take that worry. Here's what God said. I want you to immediately bring it to me in prayer. Rather than worry, pray. At least it'll take you somewhere. What you need to learn to do on a regular basis is to bring every hurt, every pain, every worry, every anxiety, every fear into the presence of God. That's where you need to bring it. God said with all kinds of prayer, prayer, just an attitude of prayer, supplication, specific needs. We have not because we ask not. Request. These are particular items, not just for us, but for others. But notice he said, with thanksgiving, in every situation of life, there is something for which you and I can be thankful. Isn't that true? You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I'm such a worry wart. If I, if I pray every time I'm tempted to worry, I'm going to be praying all the time. You got it. You got it. You're on your way to a worry-free life because you're immediately learning to take into the presence of God. Do you understand that prayer is not an event? It's an attitude. It's a lifestyle. Living in the presence of God is not that I go meet with God for 15 minutes or 5 minutes on the way to work and suddenly a verse a day has kept the devil away. No, I talk to God of the mornings to bring me into His presence so that I can walk with Him in His presence throughout that day and bring every concern, every fear, every worry, every anxiety, every hurt, every pain right into the presence of God because my fellowship with Him has never been unbroken. I can talk to God all the time, anywhere, any place, about anything. You do not have to be in some kind of closet, quiet place with your eyes closed, head bowed. You can pray anywhere. You can pray driving down the road. Just please don't close your eyes. I might be in the other lane. You see, I can talk to God 
It's like I can talk to Miss Sandy or I can talk to Pastor Faber. I can talk to God constantly throughout the day. Prayer is not an event. It's a lifestyle. And God said, bring everything into my presence. You say, well, preacher, they're just little things. Let me ask you a question. What's big to God? Fervent praying. Number two, I, I told you I'm going to be done on time tonight because I don't know what time is. Focused thinking. Oh, I love the song, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Fervent prayer, focused thinking. Look at verse number 8. Would you look down? Verse 8. We're right here in the same text. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise. Now watch this next phrase. Think, meditate, ponder on these things. As a man thinketh in his heart, the Bible says, so is he. You know, when I was a kid, they used to do this food pyramid. I don't think they use the food pyramid anymore. And they'd talk about the meats and the vegetables and the grain part of all that. And you're supposed to eat this, that, and the other. And I'd have a teacher. She would be so sweet. Now, boys and girls, what you eat is what you are. I must have been a Dorito. Or maybe a slice of pepperoni pizza. I'm not sure which. But here's what I do know. That what my mind tends to, that's what I become. And if I allow my mind to be filled with anxiety and worry thought, worrisome thoughts about things that I cannot control, that is exactly what I become, a person that is controlled by worry and it chokes the joy of God. And I, as a Christian, I'm no longer going to heaven first class. I'm going to heaven second class. I'm not enjoying the journey anymore. So I need to take it to the Lord in prayer. And then I need to think right. I need to think right. Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. It takes us to the point that some people are incapacitated by anxiety and worry. The word think means to ponder. It means to consider. It means to meditate upon. If worry is caused by wrong thinking, then worry can be overcome by right thinking. All right, I'm going to give you one more verse tonight, and then I'm going to finish up, okay? Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. If you can't find it, that's fine. Just jot it down. You're going to go a couple books to the left, all right? And you're going to find 2 Corinthians, and you're going to find chapter number 10. This is revival preaching, by the way. Because there's some people who need to have a revival of a trust in the living God that loves them. Look at verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly. We don't fight with swords and spears and knives and guns. But mighty, but even though they're not physical, what we hold in our hand, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Do you know that worry is a satanic stronghold that He set up in your life to control you? Now look at verse 5. Casting down... Do you know what my, my fear about my daughter being... Do you know what that was? That was an imagination. That wasn't real. Cast it down, God said. Cast it down. That means I'm to enter into the arena of spiritual warfare that's fought right here. And Satan's trying to control my mind through worry and fear and anxiety, sinful thoughts, lustful thoughts, sensual thoughts, wicked thoughts, whatever it might be. But he's content if it's just worry. Because He controls us. And God said when the imagination comes, cast it down. Cast it down. Cast it down. Alright? Notice He goes on to say, And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, what God has taught me about Himself and His care and His faithfulness in my life, and bringing into captivity, that means capturing every thought, bringing into bondage every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Pastor had a wonderful thought about that. He handcuffs his thoughts. Throws them in jail. Slings the key out into the pasture. And I tell you the battle is fought right here and this is where it's won or lost. Because I can't pray 
if I can't get in charge of my mind. Scientists have tell us what God's already told us, that the human mind is only capable of focusing on one thought at a time. So here's what happens. When you allow anxious thoughts to control you, they're hitting your mind at a pace you can no longer control them. That's when you have the meltdown. All right, imagine, how many of you watched Andy Griffith? Okay, All right, I live in Mount Pilot, Pilot Mountain. Okay, this town above me is Mayberry, Mount Airy. There's the Andy Griffith Museum and all that. I've never visited, but it's okay, all right? I'd rather come here and visit your museums, all right? Did you, you did it for me, thank you, all right? And uh, I, did, I did go eat at Aunt B's, but anyway, all right, so, so, so here's why. Remember the old switchboard? You know, you plug that in. By the way, if you're beyond these, you don't, just Google it, okay? And you got that. That's what I'm talking about, all right? So just imagine in your mind, here you are, and, and, and you're, you're, you're the operator. You're the switchboard operator, and the calls start coming in quicker than you can connect them. What happens? It melts the switchboard down. When your thoughts begin to come so fast, we call it racing thoughts, they come faster than you can control them. You have meltdown. You say, preacher, how do I stop that? Get you a cheap notebook. Just a cheap one. And when your mind begins to race and you can't control it, begin to write the Psalms or read the Psalms. And every time a verse speaks to you, write it down. Write it down. Write it down. Let me tell you what that exercise is going to do. Number one, it will get you in the Bible. Number two, it will slow your mind down because it, fo fo it forces you to focus. And you're focusing on that that's right and pure and praiseworthy through, are you following me? And you can begin to control your mind and you begin to give it to God. And this can be a daily exercise. Focused thinking. Taking captive wrong thoughts and then putting in my mind thoughts that are pure and right and true and holy and virtuous and praiseworthy. Fervent prayer. Focused thinking. Are you ready? Here's the last one. I told you I'm about done. Okay? Faith-filled living. Look at verse number, verse number. Oh, we're going to go back to Philippians 4. I'm sorry. Look at verse number 9. Those things which ye have both learned. Are you back in Philippians 4, 9? That's why God gave you fingers. So you hold your place in the Bible. Those things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. You see, it doesn't do you any good to know the word. It's when you do the word that the victory comes. And the reason fear and anxiety and worries controlling God's people is they're not doing the word. They're not being obedient to him. And God said, and the peace of God shall be with you. Verse 7, the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep, garrison, guard, protect your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Can I help you to understand that peace is not a feeling? It's not a feeling. If you're waiting on a feeling, you're missing it. Peace is not a feeling. Peace is the inner calm that comes from the fact of knowing and believing and trusting that my God is in control and my Heavenly Father that feeds the sparrows and clothes the flowers is the God that's going to take care of me no matter the situation of life. Several years ago, a submarine was being tested and had to remain submerged for many hours. When it returned to the harbor, the captain was asked this, How did the terrible storm last night affect you? The captain looked at him in surprise and he said, Storm? What storm? We didn't even know there was one. I mean, it whipped up the ocean, the, the surface, waves, everything. This submarine had been so far beneath the surface that it reached an area known to sailors as the cushion of the sea. The ocean can be whipped into huge waves by high winds, but the waters that are below in this, when you reach this point, are never disturbed. And God's peace is the cushion from the stormy seas of life that often worry us. It's the inner calm that God is in complete control and everything's going to be all right. I give you this verse and I'm done. Isaiah 26 verse 3. If you don't learn any other verse, you learn this one. 
Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth. O ye of little faith. The word stayed is an interesting word. It means shepherd's staff. Crook of a shepherd was used for many things. It was used to correct sheep. It was used to save the sheep and, and keep them from stri- all kinds of different things. But at the end of the day, the exhausted shepherd would use that staff for something else. As the sheep were laying in the meadow because they've been in the rich, lush pastures and they've drank from the still waters, he leans on the staff. It becomes his support, his stay. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. I can promise you this. You're either filled with worry or you're filled with faith, but you can't be fooled. And to be faithless is to be disobedient. So tonight, why don't you bring it to the Lord? Why don't you bring your cares and your worries and your fears to the feet of Jesus? You say, preacher, but I'll just pick them up and take them back with me. Why do that? Why do that? Give them to the one. You may have to give it to him over and over and over. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer, confess your lack of faith. Confess that you've not been trusting. Confess you've been disobedient. Seek his forgiveness and say, God, from this point forward, I'm going to be a person of fervent prayer. I'm going to be a person of focused thinking. I'm going to be a person of faithful, faith-filled God wants you to enjoy the journey. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you that your word has the answers to the struggles of our lives. Lord, as the, the, the instruments begin to play, I ask you to begin to work in hearts. Lord, there may be someone here tonight that they've never trusted you as Savior. They don't know the forgiveness of sins. They've never believed on the one that died for them, was buried and rose again. And Lord, tonight that they would come in just a moment and let somebody take a Bible and show them how it can be saved. But Lord, there's probably the majority of this congregation tonight that they're saved. They know you. But Lord, there's probably some that live a life of worry and fear and anxiety. They know you, but they're not trusting you. And tonight they need to come and confess that. They need to begin living by your word. They know it, Lord, but they're not doing it. And tonight, Lord, they would commit themselves to bringing every burden, every fear, every problem into the presence of Jesus. Letting you be their stay. God, letting you bring your peace to their hearts. The knowledge that you have everything under control. And I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name I pray. As we stand to our feet tonight, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm an invitation giver, okay? That means that you're not coming to the preacher. You're not coming necessarily to an altar. But you're bringing your need, your worry, your fear into the presence of God. Could we bow our heads for a moment and close our eyes? Could we do that? Could I invite you that if you're a person that's filled with anxiety and worry, that somehow or another God's spoken to your heart tonight? And you want revival. You want to enjoy the journey. You want things to change. Why don't you slip forward right now? Why don't you find a place right here and talk to God about it? Would you do that? You come.